Hello, and welcome to Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast, where we invite a writer published in the Deep Overstock Literary Journal to read and discuss a piece from our archives. Yes, this is the exact structure of the New York Fiction Podcast. Thank you, Debbie Treesman. I'm your host, Michael Santiago, and this week we have Amanda Depperschmidt on the show, reading three poems published in the horror issue of December 2019, The Gold Room Book, The Bush, The Baby, and The Floor. I met one baby in a storm in the parking lot. At first, I thought he was a fist. He was naked except for white underwear. There was a man in black watching from the rain in the alleyway. Presumably, this was the mother. This story was chosen by Amanda Depperschmidt. It was published stories in the horror, structures, and origin of life issues. Amanda Depperschmidt is also published in Artemis, published in two different zines, The Big Picture Saved from Gravity, and a short story collection at Barnstormers. And she's a Portland-based writer focusing on magical realism and climate destruction. Welcome to the show, Amanda. So this episode will be slightly different from previous episodes. You've chosen a series of three poems by Robert Eversman, which I guess you can kind of link them into the Eversman literary universe. Why these three? And why these pieces in particular? Uh, Yes, I uh, think that these three pieces really stood out to me as being both really uh, lush and outstanding as far as writing craft goes. And for me, they also really demonstrated the capabilities of Deep Overstock's current modes of publishing. Um, I first read these three poems on the Deep Overstock website, And I was really impressed by them as this kind of poetic triptych. They were so uniform and extremely forthcoming with their archetypes and their imagery. And then uh, when I got my physical copy of Deep Overstock, and this was my first issue for both reading and submitting, uh, I got to see how these poems were then interspersed throughout the zine. I think Repetition like this uh, throughout the zine can be really powerful. And encountering the poems sort of intermittently throughout my reading of the horror issue gave me a very strong first impression of the journal. Totally agree with you. Um, Yeah, Robert, a good friend of mine and an excellent writer, who's also the editor-in-chief, one of the two, for the Deep Overstock Literary Journal. He has such a unique style of storytelling and writing. Um, Things that I... As a writer myself, I can't fathom how he even comes up with some of these ideas, but <clears throat> they always are just so potent and poignant that it's just surreal take on things you wouldn't normally think about. So, as I said, his tip- stories typically venture outside the realm of convention. Um, what in particular about Robert's style drew you in to his style of storytelling? Right. Um Well, I should probably start off by specifying that I haven't met the author, Um, but I think that's really cool that this is in his style. This was my first time encountering his work. Um, To me, this kind of writing is very much a part of a uh, literary canon that I absolutely adore. Um, I don't know if it already has a name, but... In my brain, I sort of think of it as um, staircase literature. And um, I say a staircase because it's 
the kind of writing where uh, with every breath or every word or sentence or what have you, the reader's perspective is really radically changed. Uh, there are these emphasized moments that uh, completely overwrite everything that came before it. And I hope that the listeners of this podcast can hear that in my reading. Um, it's usually very absurd and shocking with this style of writing. And to me, it's born out of inspiration from existential and absurdist greats like Ionesco and Sartre and Beckett. But I think this staircase American version of it that these poems fall into is a lot in the way the school of Don Donald Bartlemy, who was one of the most hilarious authors I've ever encountered, um, Zachary Schoenberg's novel, Man Mother, Miranda July, Samantha Irby, Joy Williams. Um, as a reader, I really enjoy being thrown around a bit. And there's a highly standardized sort of stuck in time chronological feel to really traditional and classic styles of writing. And I'm way more drawn, way more drawn to prose and poetry that just runs far, far away from that. Like, take me to the fourth dimension. And these pieces do that really well. So as you said, of these series of poems in a, in a staircase model. So suggesting to me how I'm interpreting it is that these are all interlinked, interwoven narratives, maybe not intentional, maybe so. Um, do you believe that these stories, these three stories crossed over um, as an intentional device by the author? Uh, yes, I think it was very intentional. Um, to me, these three poems together about the trappings of masculinity, of being a son, a father, a brother, the grotesquities of masculinity. It's something that you hear a lot about or see a lot of it in art and on TV. It's Francisco Goya, it's David Lynch, it's on Adult Swim. We know those guys, and here it's poetry, and it's got kind of a fresh new polish on it. And for me, you know, I'm a rather femme-leaning person, and I tend to stick to femme perspectives in my reading and writing. So reading the three of these in one go really sort of took me out of my comfort zone. And choosing these pieces, for me, it was a bit of a challenge I gave to myself to sort of jump in and embody this sort of butch, but also very satirical space. And I think it's a nice antidote to like the strong, gruff, withered voice. It's a very exposed and fearful voice. Great. It sounds like it was a it was a drastic juxtaposition as to what you're used to in terms of your style of storytelling, but very interesting points that you brought up. Um, all right. Here's Amanda Depreschmidt reading The Bush, The Baby, and The Floor by Robert Eversman. The Bush, The Baby, and The Floor by Robert Eversman. First, The Bush. These are men in blue jeans. They have a handle on the neighborhood. They cultivate a bush. They hunt around and keep it secret. They surround the bush like plumbers on a problem. Children come over. They try to get a glimpse of the bush. Boys peer at it. They climb their father's backs. They push their father's legs. This is man's work. It is not the work of boys. Inside the bush, there is a baby. 
the baby is sleeping. The fathers could not save the others who did not grow much past the size of golf balls. This baby, however, has lived to full size. It is green. It slightly cries. The men do not feed it. They need only let in sunlight. Boys swell in groups and smash against their fathers. We want in, we want in, demanded every boy. No, argued the well of fathers, never. So you require of us that we never experience the world? One father grabbed his son and wrenched him in. The baby breathes. Its foot, the stem, curls into the ground. The boy hid his eyes. This is a private matter, says his father. Do you see? The fathers hope the boy will be let go. They could not do this to their own sons. Their sons were scared. Their sons stood still behind their fathers. The man's boy whimpered. The baby writhed. The father pushed the boy to touch the baby. The boy held on to his father. The father forced his hand and spread his fingers until finally they touched. The baby's skin was like a grape. What have you done? it said. Number two, the baby. Our town had become overrun with men dressed like babies. You would see them in the shadows, even in the cold. They are not unlike the clowns of Exeter. They spread out on all fours. They weigh from 100 pounds to 200 pounds. I met one baby in a storm in the parking lot. At first, I thought he was a fist. He was naked except for white underwear. There was a man in black watching from the rain in the alleyway. Presumably, this was the mother. I ran to the baby, and the man in black ran away. Even cross-legged, the man was enormous. Rain pooled in his lap. This is embarrassing for me, he said. I don't live far from here. The sky was horrible. It's been an emotional day for me, he said. We parked outside a castle. The gateman opened an umbrella for me, which I understood was not to be shared with the baby. The butler suggested I stay over. I was provided with clothes, as was the baby. When we emerged, we were matching. Everyone is born from a baby, he said. He lifted up his shirt and showed me his underside. I hadn't noticed it before. It was a baby under his arm, its face and hands under his skin as if fossilized inside him. I backed away. No, he said. He took my hand, his hands were smooth, and he pressed my fingers to the baby. I felt the beat of its heart in the pads of my fingers. It turned and moved like a snake. It pushed its hands up and spread its ten fingers to feel the tips of my five. 
I am a dutiful man, a good brother, he said. In the morning, I left with the storm. I stopped my car at the bottom of the hill. The damage from the flooding was obvious. However, the roads now were fairly clear. Who would take care of me now? Number three, the floor. For a time, my brother had lived under the floor. We knew that if he bit us, we would die. My father and I went finding fallen branches. We turned them into firewood. We kept on rubber boots. We weren't to move about the house without them. Only once in bed could we remove them. We never stepped on cracks. My father filled the cracks, but my brother popped them out. I heard him running around at night. He pushed things. He broke things. I have no idea what we kept under the house. At night, I'd see his fingers. We are not brothers, he'd say. Yes, we are, I'd say. If you won't touch me, we're not brothers, he'd say. My father played the organ to drown him out. One day my father and I were out making firewood. He stood in a pile where the snow had melted. The kindling split then stopped. He banged it down. It stuck. The axe had hit a knot. He put it down. What's wrong? I said. This morning there was a jay. It flew over the trees. He showed me the body of a bird. One night I woke up and my brother's hand was in the darkness. He had removed one board altogether. Come, he said, mother is sick. I would have to be broken to fit inside that hole. Touch her, he said. Reach in. She's breathing. He produced a second hand very different from his own. Come here, he said. I stayed in bed. I watched both hands. When finally they slipped beneath the floor, I fell asleep. When my father had finished a branch taller than our house, he gave me the axe. I'm going off to find one, he said. He walked into the trees. It was then I heard my brother crying. He poked his hand through a hole in the foundation. Help me, he said. Help me. His arm made circles in the snow. It's a great reading, Amanda. So now we're going to go through each of these pieces individually. What was your interpretation of the bush and what pulled you into that world? I think to me the bush is about really kind of the fear of our own past infancy and sort of the commodification of it. Um, it's really uncomfortable to think about ourselves as once being sort of like these helpless sacks of flesh. And I think the author really captures that, especially with uh, the comparison of the baby to a grape, which 
was the line that really solidified all of these poems for me personally. Um, but I think the image of the fathers blocking out and surrounding the baby, and here they've been trying and failing to grow many green babies over again. Um, they don't want their sons to see the truth and the helplessness of their own nature and the fragility of it. And that's what part of upholding a society, especially like a colonial patriarchal society, uh, it's what it all sort of hinges on. And uh, we're kind of at this point where we're sort of farming humans to be workers and good laborers who don't have these primal natural fears or inclinations. Um, and breaking that trust of society and opening yourself up to life and nature and the bush creates uh, sons who don't want to spend their lives working the days away. It creates sons and, and children in general who are aware of their own little collapsing consciousnesses and want to connect with the world. But the unspoken horror is, of course, both options and paths have the same inevitable ending and we all face collapse regardless. Yay. <laughs> Very uh, interesting and grim, on it, but I completely agree. Now for the baby, I think Bobby always ends with such a poignant image or question for the reader. For example, he asks at the very end, who would take care of me now? Did you find yourself wondering what could happen next? Are you a fan of the endings of this piece or any of the others? <laughs> yes, uh, I'm a fan and I agree. Um, the author very much um, ends each of these pieces with sort of cries for help in all of them. The the what have you done, the who would take care of me now, the image of the hand moving in circles from under the floorboard. All of these are cries of desperation and loneliness. Um, and it goes back to the helplessness that runs through all three of these pieces. Um, and to answer your other question, wondering what will happen next, I'm, I'm not really wondering what happens next, to be honest. Uh, maybe that's bleak. But I think with absurdist fiction like this and with poetry, you kind of um, just have to assume things continue until they don't or until everything falls into the void or the heat death of the universe happens. You know, in, in the baby, maybe he crashes his car at the end or wakes up from a dream. I don't know. I don't really think there should be an answer. Right, right. You just sort of have to take it at face value. Um and now for the final piece, The Floor. For me, this was perhaps the most unsettling, in a good way, of all the pieces. Uh, the imagery of the brother living under the floor was a great way to open the piece. Um, in terms of The Floor and the other two pieces, how did the, the narrative or the flow, uh, did it create vivid imagery in your mind? Yeah. Um... The floor, I think as far as the imagery is concerned, um, it takes this very common setting in masculine-leaning literary fiction of the axe in the woods, uh, and it gives it kind of a nice twist. Like, why is the mom under the floor? How did she get down there? 
Um, and the idea of being a good brother pops up first in the baby. It follows up on the taking up of the mantle, passing of the torch, theme of the bush. Um, it's the third piece, or at least that's how it's published in Deep Overstock. Um, so it does its job successfully in tying all the themes together. Um, in the ending, the narrator sort of metaphorically walks out into the darkness of the woods and here he's sort of, he's taking a plunge, but he's also sacrificing his own brother and mother to stay under the floorboards. Um, and it's because he's afraid of their vulnerability and he's afraid to directly touch and connect with them. Um, and he chooses not to as an act of self-preservation. But really the only path left for him to walk is one in which he sort of keeps splitting wood just like his father, right? Um, and to what end? Um, here the horror is being sort of unable to break the cycle, uh, to turn away from someone else in their cry for help. And I agree with you, it's the most unsettling because here the narrator most textually like chooses the path of oppression in the end. Great. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Robert often has such an evocative style of storytelling. It's always surreal. Um, you me with a sense of wonderment and bewilderment and packs quite a punch. Do you feel that these three pieces are effective in fitting into the scope of horror? Uh, yes, I agree. They're very effective. Um, all of these pieces are ones that I just think of periodically just in the past year since they've been published. I'm very scarred for life from them. I think of skin like a drape all the time. I may never have a child now. <laughs> Looking under the floorboards. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So um, with all that said, um, despite these three pieces being interwoven into a single narrative, was there a single piece out of all of them that, really stood out to you and why so yeah i agree it's it's difficult to pick one because they all really go together but um probably my favorite is the baby because i think it's the funniest <laughs> um i love the town of grown babies i love um presumably the mother and uh, the baby on the armpit of the baby. It's the centerpiece of the triptych, and it's the truest. We're all sort of walking around as giant babies, some of us more than others. And, you know, depending on the privileges that we carry, the things that we're sheltered from or exposed to. Um, yeah, and like I said, it's been almost a year since these were written or since I first read them. And now we're sort of having to confront our own grown up infancy a little bit with this epidemic and the failing economy and the elections and survival is just a much bigger part of our daily lives. And for me, at least I feel as an American quite coddled with ideas of exceptionalism that are suddenly being taken away from me and who will take care of me now? <laughs> it's been such an emotional day for me. It just, it all hits such a sweet spot. Perfect. That That's great. 
be Bobby's three or Robert's three pieces were foreshadowing for the for the toilet paper crisis that later happened down the road. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps maybe he knew something that we didn't yeah, know. Maybe. Or maybe he released it himself. Who knows? Um, well, <laughs> great chatting with you. Great interview. Uh, you really shed a lot of light on these three pieces. You made me look at them differently. I'm interested and eager now to go back to these pieces and revisit them and even discuss them with them uh, about your take. So thank you so much again for coming on to the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. That was Amanda Depeschmidt reading and discussing The Bush, The Baby, and The Floor from a horror issue published in December 2019. Cover art by Olive Lewis. You've been listening to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. Our theme music is the song Take Me Higher by Jazz Har. Join us again in two weeks, and don't forget to submit for our next issue, Mystery, before February 28th. Visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines.